Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I am so happy to be speaking with our guest today, Miranda B. If you've heard any of my previous episodes, you know that I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, believe that the most important voices of FASD are the people who live with FASD because people who live with an FASD can give us so much perspective, so much feedback. And most importantly, it's just really an honor to hear from someone who has an FASD because you're listening into a part of how they live their lives. And to me, speaking with someone with an FASD is so important. And it's especially important that we learn from individuals who live with an FASD because we don't know what it's like living with an FASD. So on that very long introduction, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Miranda B. Miranda, welcome to FASD Hope. Hi, I'm so excited right now. So thank you so much for for having me on your show. And I'm so happy that you're here, Miranda. And before we started recording, Miranda and I were, were bonding over our cats. She was telling me about her cat. I was telling her about Charlie, our cat. And um, yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, and then Miranda also is an avid photographer. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, we just I love hearing um, the things that Miranda is doing and how she's learning her strengths and how she's building on her, her skills. So Miranda, let's talk a little bit about your, your journey. Um, you've had a very hard journey, what you're comfortable with sharing. Can you talk about, um, just how your, your journey into becoming who you are today, which is an FASD self-advocate? Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely been quite the road. Um, there's been a lot of challenges, things that I've learned, uh, throughout my journey. Um, so I am 27 years old, uh, and I will be 28 in July. <laughs> so almost up, up there getting there. Um, so yeah, um, you know, I was, you know, I was born in uh, British Columbia, Canada here. And um, I love BC. I mean, it's beautiful. And I just, I love the nature here. Um, it's, it's a great place to live. Um, and it can have its challenges too. So, um, so growing up, I mean, um, I had a pretty tough childhood uh, through my whole journey. Um, I've been bullied. Uh, <laughs> you name it. So pretty much all through, you know, from even kindergarten all the way through high school. So, um, so I'll excuse my brain. It could take a little while to think, um, <laughs> cause there's a lot, there's a lot. Um, so I'll just go with, um, starting with like, you know, my diagnosis, um, started when I was my mid teens. So I was diagnosed with FASD or ND. So that is the umbrella term for alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, and that, I mean, when I, so when it first started, I mean, like growing up, I would say, you know, going back to like second grade, um, that is where I can remember as far as I can honestly say, but I mean, it makes sense. But uh, this is when, when we usually start learning 
um, counting money. Um, so basically you have your, your plastic pennies and your quarters and then your paper money and all that kind of stuff. And I just remember like them just, you know, my teacher, you know, just kind of going over it with me and just counting. And like, I just couldn't figure it out. Like no matter what it was counting and it would get to the point where I just kept constantly putting my hand up and counting with my fingers and even counting all of a sudden I would just lose my train of thought. Like I, it would just, it feels like it's kind of like a truck stop. And then I just somehow forget like halfway when I'm counting and I'm like, then I completely forget everything that I just counted. So then I kept going back and it got to a point where then I got really frustrated. I started crying and um, <laughs> my teacher was trying so hard to like navigate that with me. Um, and over time, you know, being in class and every day, it just only became harder and harder for me. Like I just, the next day I would just completely not remember anything. So they tried flashcard versions, you know, pictures and stuff like that. It just wouldn't work. So it got to a point where, you know, maybe they thought I was probably deaf. Maybe I wasn't hearing very much. So they put me into a hearing test. And uh, I remember, you know, just putting the headphones on and they had that light, slight little beep. And then, yeah, so um, I passed it with flying colors. So clearly I have no hearing um, issues whatsoever. So then they started putting me into like these Peabody testing. So they have a person that comes in and they got these books and then they, you know, point at the picture that's like a cat or something like that. And then there's, you know, the reading comprehension section and then there's the math and like the basic stuff, you know, based like on my grade. Um, and then I was doing a whole bunch of those, you know, per grade in elementary. You know, so basically just based on my results, um, clearly I had a lot of trouble with a lot of things. So then I was just labeled as a learning disability. So for the longest time, I mean, but it just got worse. I mean, as the time went on, going through elementary school and not having a lot of friends. So that was really, really hard to, you know, come about in my journey with that. Um, I mean, I had those few friends, but they weren't perfect. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of in between. And then my mom, I, I lived with my grandfather and my grandmother and my mom growing up in that time. And um, and I, I, mean, I didn't stay for too long. I ended up moving to Vernon um, late in the second grade, actually. Um, and because my mom met this new person and all of a sudden now we're moving to Vernon. So and it was a really hard um, decision because I just remember like a lot of arguing going on between my grandparents and like, I didn't understand what was going on. So it's like, you know, you know, maybe let's just ask Miranda, where does she want to stay? Do you want to stay with your grandparents or do you want to stay, you know, what come with me and your brother? And I'm like, I, it was such a hard decision. I'm like, uh, well, I'll just, uh, I rather, I'll just probably go with my mom. And so, I mean, that, that day forward, that is where things really got worse. Um, my mom's always had drinking issues um, most of her life. And there's a lot of yelling, arguing, um, you know, punish like punishments that I don't um, agree with. Um, so I just always kind of kept myself my whole life. I just quiet, didn't really want to talk about much. Um, I was known as the mouse in school. So people would pick on me like, oh, she's a mouse and she doesn't say anything. Um, yeah, so that was really hard to get through. I did a lot of counseling through that um, because I had to explain, you know, certain struggles I was dealing with, but I didn't want to go into in-depth stuff I was dealing with. So, um, you know, as time again went on, like, I mean, there was a period where, you know, my mom's relationship with that boyfriend at that time we were living in Vernon um, didn't go so well. Um, so unfortunately we had to, we were just booted out. We like, we had our cats too. We couldn't take them with us. So um, 
from that day forward, like, you know, where are we going to go? So, so we're on the streets for a little while. Um, and of course, there's a place called a transition home where you have temporary stay. And, but the thing is, you can probably stay there for a maximum five, six months. Um, and then just kind of look in the paper so you can find a place to live. And if you can't find a place to live in that time period, you leave. You, there's, you just can't stay there anymore. So unfortunately, we didn't find a place to stay. Um, and then we left out again. Then we kind of temporarily moved into a little basement suite with another former person my mom met and that didn't go really well. <laughs> didn't really last very long. Then we eventually got in contact with my uncle and then we ended up moving to uh, Newton area. So, um, and again, I met a really good best friend that time period in the fifth grade. Um, she's still my friend to this day. So a shout out to my best friend, Brianna. I'm so thankful, you know, you were there for me when I was being bullied. Even at this time period, I was having rocks thrown at me and she just kind of approached and just kind of shoo them away. and you know, she kind of held out her hand and yeah, we've been friends ever since. So um, not many people ever did that for me. So fifth grade is really where I felt like, you know, uh, this would be great. So um, yeah. And, you know, in between these times, just to note, like I was, I moved to at least five different elementary schools. So we moved around a lot because of my mom dating and, you know, can't really kind of stay in the one spot for too long. Um, so that's where it also made it really hard for me to kind of just keep, I'm really bad at like always new adjustments all the time. Um, so yeah, so obviously going forward and then uh, we end up going back to where I originally lived, which is Delta, which is our, I was originally living in the second grade before I moved to Vernon. And then I went to other places like Mission and stuff like that. Um, so I, um, I'm, in the sec I'm in the sixth grade and uh, it was kind of cool being back to like my old elementary school because I haven't seen it in such a long time. And I ended up seeing familiar faces that were still like still there. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, but still, I mean, I can't really fit in very well. I just, people just found me, I don't know, weird, I guess. I just was just not that type of person that I guess was attracted to people because I wasn't a very, it's the ugly ducking, duckling, I would say. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, I would, so a second, so now going to the seventh grade, my mom's drinking was always a thing that, that never changed. It just, you know, drinking and then maybe some, other things behind that. Uh, so the, so a lot of times uh, we were living uh, at an apartment building at this time on the first floor. And so, um, but it turns out this is where it really got severe. So I would, you know, be by myself all the time. Like she's just gone, she leaves. So, and we moved right next door to a pub, like a bar pub, like that's literally right next door. And this is like a popular pub that she always loved to go to, like growing up in that area anyway. Um, so, you know, half the time I'm just by myself. So I'm just, <laughs> where is she? I don't know where she is. And I mean, I was 12. So I had to like take care of myself a lot when she wasn't around. So like feeding myself, we didn't, we couldn't really afford a lot of food. So, you know, living off of Katie, um, pizza pops, uh, corner store, you can buy them for a dollar for, for, for two pack, um, stuff like that. And there's a lot of nights where she comes home and she just doesn't know what she's talking about. She's just so drunk and she makes stuff up and just start yelling at me. And there, yeah, it, it's, I've had to help her get to bed. I've attempted to hide her liquor. I have attempted to hide everything and uh, I would get in trouble because she knows I hit him somewhere. She's like, where is my stuff? <laughs> so um, yeah, it was really hard. And I cared about her because I know I wanted her to get help because she, was always had a negative side to her that she just didn't 
Um, she doesn't believe in counselors. She's tried those and they didn't seem to work for her. Um, the list goes on and it kind of got to a point where I just, I just gave up so many times, but then I'll come back and try to help again. I've been doing this for a long time. And, um, and of course, one day, you know, she came home and she was just raving and, you know, she's still intoxicated. And then it just kind of got to, you know what, I want you at my house, at my house now. And I was like, you know, honestly, I, to be honest, I was kind of happy because I just want to go somewhere. So I ended up packing my stuff, just like I grabbed a little backpack and just threw some stuff in there. I had a friend that lived on the third floor at this time. So she kind of visited me and she's like, I kind of told her what happened. And she's like, oh, you can stay with me. And, um, but unfortunately later on after that, we didn't really get along me staying over there. She became like jealous. It kind of got to the point where I was like locked out of the house every day after school. Cause we went to the same school together. Um, so that was really <laughs> another hard thing. Um, and so obviously I think I stayed there for a couple of months. There was a period after when I actually stayed at her friend's house, like say like the, the, like one day and my mom actually attempted to try to take me back, but she was still intoxicated. And I was so scared. Like I called 911, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And so they addressed the situation and they realized it wasn't a good fit for me to be around. Um, and so like, they just kind of told her, you know, let her stay here, give her shoes back because my mom did try to attempt to steal my shoes at the front door in order for me to come back home. Um, but so I got my shoes back and then, yeah, I, so I stayed there for, I don't know, I, I guess maybe a couple of weeks to a month. And then one day, um, I came home and then there was like a knock on the door shortly after. And then like my friend's mom said, I called social services. This is um, your new social worker and you're going to a new home. I'm very sorry. I didn't tell you, but you know, I can't, we can't take care of you. So, um, I didn't, at the time there, I didn't know <laughs> what to think, um, I was just kind of like, oh, this is awkward. I'm going to go to a place that I don't know, a bunch of strangers. And yeah, so I got my stuff, got in the car. It wasn't that too far. It was just kind of a little bit down the street from what, where the area was. And then, yeah. And the weird part, the funny part of it all is when I went into that home and I met my foster for the first time, you know, she was kind of like going down like the, the rules a little bit. And it was a nice home. I first walked in there like, oh, wow, it's like beautiful. And um, this is, this is like a new journey and I'm like, I'm probably gonna have a lot of food now because I mean, of all this time we've been poor with my mom and there's like hardly no food and like, it's all this food. And, um, so, and then I turned, I looked at my left when I was talking to my foster mom and I just see this, this young, young kid just kind of peeking around the corner and I'm like, who's that? It's like, oh, so you do live with another, um, another per like person, like another foster. Uh, so he basically it's, my foster brother, uh, you know, that I apparently now have that's going to live with me. So it's not just me. So it's just going to be me and him. And it turns out he is uh, uh, my bully at school. And um, so it was really weird. It was kind of like a coincidence in an in a odd way. But I remember him actually living at the same apartments that I was living at. And like, I've seen him around. I remember him like kind of sneaking, following me when I was walking to school. So I was like, what is, it's like maybe like a school crush, right? Um, so I'm like, well, this is awkward. So, um, over the years, you know, like, like living in foster care, you know, the first week, uh, was something I would never expect. It, it got to like, I mean, my whole life, I didn't really grow up on chores in like a routine like that. Right. So, you know, laundry days on Wednesday, um, you know, if you want to take, you know, want to take part of like taking out the trash, you know, sweeping the front door, vacuuming and stuff like that. So, um, the first week I completely forgot what laundry day it was. I kept thinking in my mind, it was Thursday. So I get my stuff, I go downstairs, I'm already putting my clothes in the laundry. 
laundry washer and then then she comes down and she is just like screaming at me what did I say laundry is not uh, not on Thursday it's this is my day that like it's on when and I just got in trouble I I didn't expect it to blow up that bad and yeah I was like it was just something like it almost sounds like I did it so many times and I haven't been here for more than a week so far just like the first week that I already forgot and that's when I knew that this is probably going to be a lot worse than I anticipated. Um, and unfortunately, from that time point, it just got worse. Um, if, you know, I had a curfew and if I was uh, if I was one minute late on my curfew, I'd be grounded for two weeks. Um, if I accidentally left a pot and a strainer in the sink, say if I was making noodles, um, I get no food for the night. Um, I was verbally abused. The verbal abuse was really excessive. Um, I didn't know what the main rules were in the foster parenting book until I left when I was 19 and I realized she broke at least 20 different rules. So um, it wasn't great. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so getting my diagnosis, you know, around this time, I mean, she always thought like at first, maybe I had some kind of ADHD or something. And so I started seeing psychiatrists and stuff like that. And I was always seeing um, youth care workers, just someone to hang out with during the week. Um, and they, you know, so that's what they kind of thought at first. So then they put me on Ritalin and all that kind of stuff and, you know, put me right to sleep. I was falling asleep in class. Like it wasn't working. So they thought, oh, maybe too much in the dosage. So they reduced that dosage. Didn't work. Um, so they kind of thought, okay, maybe we scrap that. Um, and they, but this, dude, my learning in high school, it was super hard. Like I had to be put in easier classes through math and it's called math essentials. I, like my teachers are so frustrated with me. Like I, the first week of multiplication and then the next week after that, then you work like pie charts. I don't even remember anything that I learned the week prior. And then, so when I go on a new one and then like by the end of the, you know, the month you do like an exam, I look at the exam page and all these questions, no matter how much I studied like nightly until three o'clock in the morning, just trying to shove it in my brain. It just, everything was gone. And I just start crying. I'm like, how do I not remember anything? It was super hard for me. Um, so I, <laughs> I barely like say out of 50, I would probably maybe get like 10 out of 50 if that. Um, so it was super hard. And it got to the point where teachers realized, you know, we need to like, you know, further assess this. Um, so then I was kind of taken to these learning facilities. So, you know, more in depth than the Peabody testing I was doing. I did do more Peabody testing, like say like the eighth, ninth grade, but then they actually want to take me to an actual learning assessment, like more in depth, like, you know, blocks and stuff like that, matching picture. It, it was more kind of intermediate, I guess we'd say. Um, and then I got my results back from that. That's when it really narrowed down, like everything that I can't seem to do. Um, and then the ministry, you know, they said, we need to we need to like have an interview with her mother. We need to know some backstory history because I mean they do know she was clearly an alcoholic, so they want to make sure if anything that's related to a pregnancy. So it took her forever because she didn't want to trust them. She know she's stubborn. So, but it got to a point where she did, and I don't know what was discussed. Um, but then that's where all of a sudden then it led to my ARND diagnosis. So whatever history that they found, that's where it really confirmed everything. And honestly, I wasn't surprised at this point, but I didn't know what it was. I was like, what is this? And what is the ARND term? And they explained it to me. But even when I got that diagnosis, when I was like my mid-teens, when I was in foster care, it's not like they gave my foster mom like this, you know, how do you, you know, you know, you know, gotta be nice to Miranda. Like, <laughs> 
because I tried everything we, we I had to do interviews with with her and she would try to blame everything on me like I'm like this horrible person just because I forgot how to do a chore or I you know I wasn't used to the whole schedule thing so and I you know for years not eating a lot of food I would sneak in the middle of the night, like two o'clock in the morning, I'll grab like the loaf of bread, I'll grab peanut butter, then I'll take it to my room and I would put peanut butter on the bread and I'd be eating it at like two o'clock in the morning. I had this obsession, I developed this obsession of just picking out late binging. And a lot of that I think definitely started with the depression and the stress I was dealing with at that home because I wasn't being treated nicely at all. Um, so I was never looking forward to coming back home. Um, so, yeah, so with this experience um, through that time period, I mean, you know, not really knowing too much about the diagnosis itself and what tools like they can, you know, go around with my strengths and my weaknesses. They just, like, I was just basically still treated like a normal kid in the foster home. At school though, I mean, the teachers didn't know anything about it either. So since they didn't have too much training, I mean, they just started coming up with their own strategies. But they, I mean, I, I mean, I can't say, I mean, they were frustrated with me. I was frustrated. I would, you know, chuck the paper or throw the pencil and I just start crying. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I don't know any other strategy that for me to like, you can force it, but nothing is going to come through. I just somehow just can't remember it. And um, it was probably definitely the most frustrating thing my whole entire school years of with learning. I never understood why it's happening. And the weirdest thing with me, because I don't know, um, I haven't really talked to anybody else with FASD with this. Um, when you have, for me, I have like the sensation when I'm trying to think and learn, I feel like my head is like on fire. It feels like a burning sensation. And then I get a little nauseated. So, um, and then I just feel like I want to cry because like, it's kind of like getting a gear to work in a car and it, and but like, but even though you can't find the right gear for it. So you just have what you have and you try to shove it in there and see if it can work. That's what it feels like with me. Um, I guess that's a good example to explain it, <laughs> but, but the, it, it sucks. And, um, but I mean, I had to find strategies around that, but you know, it just kind of got to the point where if she can't do it, then they kind of gave me just easier versions of it um, that I can probably process. Obviously, I didn't fly my grades with flying colors. I've always had C minuses or barely just squeaked by by 1% or failed by 1% or five. My teachers were always accommodating with it. Like they be like, you know, we understand, you know, what we're going through. They never really fully pressured me to that extent. So they just said, here, here's a little basic worksheet to do. You finish it and we'll pass you. I was like shocked. I didn't think that they would do that for me. Um, but, you know, I made a lot of good friends when it came to teachers in high school, but I still didn't make a lot of friends in high school. So I was still that loner person. I would just kind of hop to a group to a group, like kind of like all these acquaintances during lunch hour. And, um, but the sad point is, I mean, it kind of made the bullying worse with me because when I was under a lot of stress and foster care on the side note, I started cutting my hair. It got to the point where it looked like a full-blown bowl cut and it went all the way around and I was shaving the back of my neck. I still look at it to this day. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> it was really bad. So then I would end up like putting a hoodie over my head. I mean, I obviously don't want people to see, but then, you know, people knew. So they would take the hoodie off and they'll pick on me and I just made it worse for myself. You know, in that time period, especially like my foster mom would make these obscene comments to me to make it worse. So I obviously I do something to myself that I'm already stressed out, but then she would make fun of me. Like she wouldn't actually say a particular word like at me. She would say, 
oh, people are going to think that you look like this and this. That would, that's what she would say. I'm like, but that to me, it's still basically calling me that. Because if you don't think, if you've never thought that people would say that, why would you even say that or insinuate it? So then, then I would just go to school every day now thinking in my mind that that's what people are going to think. So that, that didn't help me with my, with my psyche in my head. So I, now I just like, oh, okay, I'm bullied at school and I'm bullied at home. So <laughs> my foster brother got with every, away with everything. Like he can stay up until like five o'clock in the morning playing Xbox. If I'm caught up in like in the middle of the night at 12 or one, I'm in big trouble. So, I mean, I advocated for that a lot in the home, but nothing really changed. It's just that was the favorite. I'm the least favorite. So something with me, I guess, was an issue. Um, and it got to the point where, you no, know, I just kind of like went to journal. Um, I would write things down and, you know, just kind of, that's how I dealt with things. And, um, you know, and going to counseling in high school, I had a fantastic counselor in high school. Um, I would definitely give her a lot of credit with my teacher, uh, my, my learning assistance disability teacher, and they were part of my team to get my diagnosis. And they fought through it and through so hard, um, you know, with my, you know, just the things I was going through, my schoolwork. I mean, if I, I wouldn't have done it without them. Um, so shout out to them because they've been a huge part of my life. And I still talk to them this day. Not often. I mean, they got still stuff to do. Um, Kim's still actually working as a counselor at the same school I'm at. She recently just came back. So, um, and I'm not sure, I don't remember what Corey is doing now, but, uh, but I mean, they've, they've been, they were great. Um, and, you know, they're all through, even through my process when I aged out of care. Um, but unfortunately the sad part is, is that when you age out, um, you know, I was received, you only get $1,000 as a start off when you move out. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I got my bed and you get some supplies and then, by yourself and you don't I don't have a social worker anymore I don't have a youth care care worker to hang out with um so that was hard like I just just by myself and I don't do by myself really well I felt like I was alone my whole life um and it's kind of like oh there's another repetition but this time it's a whole different story I'm literally by myself but I felt free though I felt like you know I don't have to get yelled at for certain things that I that I did that was really unnecessary for me to get yelled at for um, and, you know, I can freely make my own food and like not being discriminated how I'm making an egg because that, that's happened to me too before. It just a lot of narcissism and, and like two-faced kind of thing that was happening um, in foster care that like, it just was confusing. And like, no matter what I did, I was ridiculed a lot. And, um, but no matter what that's happened to me, I still fought through it. And I try, I mean, of course it wasn't easy. Um, I, it just, it was super struggling for me. And, but I still fought through it. I went around it and I just, it got to trying to ignore it as much as possible. And because I, I there's a lot of times I felt like I wanted to run away, but where am I going to run to? There's nothing for me to run to. So I just stood there. Um, despite the amount of counselors that I had, therapy and whatnot. And like, it just feels like no one was listening to me. No matter what I said that was happening in that home, they weren't listening to me, they were listening to her. Oh, Miranda's this, Miranda's that. She's a passive liar or something. And I'm like, I don't lie. I, I hate lying so much. I just, the only time I lied is be, uh, it was just little things. Like um, I, I reason why I didn't do a project in time because it you know, got so much to a point in high school where I was just slacking in my schoolwork because of the stress. And I just had no time for it in my mind because I was just 
having someone yell at me all the time. And then there was a time period where I was in a relationship that was actually abusive and my foster mom actually endorsed it. Um, I still don't know why, um, but that was really hard to go through. So through that time period during both different versions of abuse, um, I started failing the 12th grade by a lot. And my teachers actually noticed what was going on because apparently they were seeing things after school that I didn't know what they saw. And so it got to a point like, Miranda, you never fail my class because this is art, art class in particular because I'm really good at art. Art is my um, strength of the, the whole deal. So it's always A's, A's, B's, you know, stuff like that. But she was like concerned because like, I mean, through eighth grade and then now in 12th, how are you getting an F? And before I said anything, she's just like, don't say anything. I know exactly what's going on. And so she gave me the rundown of what she saw and like, you know, my experiences of what I'm going through. She, she know it's none of my faults. And so basically all the, <laughs> all the projects that I had zeros on, she actually gave me like full marks <laughs> to pass me. I'm like, is this illegal? Uh, <laughs> so, um, but I mean, but this is where, I mean, I had the support in high school where teachers notice and, um, and I, the things that clearly I didn't feel noticed in the home that I was in or not being noticed from people to try to make friends because they just think that I'm making excuses for something that I can't do because I look normal and I, I talk like I'm normal and I understand this. Um, the biggest discrimination that I still deal with is, you know, you know, you can do this, but why can't you do that? Oh, you're just making it up. You're just making excuses. Like, because I can't drive a car. I, I failed my tests like 20 plus times. I was, you know, through the seven years of foster care, she forced me to do a lot of things that I know I can't do. Um, and it only made it worse. And uh, I've been uh, followed and stuff like that in public and uh, being attacked. And like, so that's to the point where I can't really do a lot of things for myself. I mean, depending where I'm going, I kind of feel like I always have to have someone with me just in case um, nothing bad happens. Because <laughs> all that through that experience, it's, um, it's not fun and it kind of sticks with you. Um, no matter, no matter professional counseling that I go through is going to erase that memory. And for me to have that protective, you know, security that I want to have. Um, Cause I, that was a long thing just for one question. I'm sorry. So, um. <laughs> so first of all, this is the mom and me coming out, not the podcaster. I wish I yeah. could go across <laughs> and give you a big hug right now because oh, that- <laughs> I know, I know as, as a mom, I know how much courage it's taking you to share your story and your story, your story has a lot of pain and a lot of heart in it. And I'm just listening to you and I'm learning so much about how my son's brain works because you're saying things to me that he has told me before. Oh, really? That's interesting. You're saying things that, for example, you know, my brain is on fire. You know, that right there, I think everyone should hear that quote from someone who has an FASD. It feels like my brain is on fire. And another thing that you said that, again, I I wish I could just give you a big virtual hug, Miranda. (laughs) Another thing that you said is like, I just, when you were talking about money, we know that money and time are the two 
biggest, biggest hurdles when it comes to having not only an FASD, but other brain-based diagnoses, because those are abstract. And when you're, ta- when you're sharing this with me, I know this is an audio podcast, but when Miranda's talking with me, she's using her hands to point, you know, the one, two, three and everything. And that's what those abstract concepts are hard because again, your brain can't access that information that you had. So when you're sharing me your story and you're telling me, you know, I would get in trouble because one day I could do this and the next day I couldn't, or I would get in trouble because of this. Again, first of all, thank you for your courage in sharing your story. Secondly, I am so sorry for anyone who has ever failed you. And that comes from the bottom of my heart because yeah, unfortunately I'm still doing that right now. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's never ended. <laughs> and I am sorry. It's, and I am especially, especially, I'm sorry for anyone who's failed you. I'm especially sorry for the foster care system that was supposed to protect you and support you that from what you're saying that they, they did not do their part. I'm sorry for that. And I'm also sorry for those teachers who didn't understand you and didn't understand that this was your brain, especially when you were little. It sounds like as you got older, your teachers were more supportive. And I'm so happy to hear that you High had school especially elementary yeah. school. No, but, but no, I mean, they they I mean, it's not their fault that they don't know. Whatsoever. Exactly. And that yeah. you're sharing that points out here in the United States, we are trying to get this national legislation passed, the FASD Respect Act. And one of the biggest parts of that legislation is teaching educators about FASD. And if that could be done in every country, Canada, Australia, you know, if if we can just educate people, you know how your brain works. I know a little bit about how the FASD brain works. I'm not a professional. I'm a mama and I'm also a podcaster. I've taken, (laughs) I've taken facets training. I know that, but again, if we could teach everybody at least just a little bit about how FASD is, there would be so many, there would just be so many people who wouldn't have to go through what you went through, who wouldn't have to go through, you know, what other guests have shared, because I've, I've had other guests who've been on, who are adults who've lived with FASD and they're either your age or older. And they've shared the same exact thing, Miranda. And it's something that we need to hear. We need to listen because there needs to be change. And especially, especially, especially for all of those kids and teens and young adults in foster care who at the end, I mean, hearing what you got at the end, I, ah, I, I just, again, I wish I could just come and I'm a hugger and I mean, all the time, like my, my, my family did not like her. My cousin didn't like her. My friends that came over, she even body shamed them. Like she was just evil. Like I didn't, I just, um, it's so bad that like in the foster care system also is that, um, there is another foster parent that lived down the street and, um, and they were actually friends and I didn't, and I, like they, she put me into bullying, but that was like the other foster parents thing. So we just started collabing with her kids and we were on a bowling team. So I started bullying like 
eighth grade all the way through 11th grade. Um, and my foster would not allow me to spend Christmas with her. She would send us to her house with her foster kids to spend Christmas. We would get Christmas presents there. She still gives us Christmas presents at my home, but we will, we'll go get them more after Christmas when we come back. Um, because she, they only live down the street. So um, she didn't want me and Dustin in her face during summertime. So that she would try to send us to summer camp or and, and act or go to Vivian's, which is the other foster mom with her kids to go um, camping at Cultus Lake with them. So I always thought like, what, like, this is weird. Like, it's just, you're sending us to another foster home. So because she doesn't want us around, like, and I asked her, like, why don't we spend Christmas with you? She's like, because I want to spend Christmas with my family. So we were not classified as family at all. I'm not coming back, obviously. I'm not going to be like, hey, what's up? Like, no, none of them come back to her place. So that's the difference. And that that shows too how there needs to be training in foster care about FASD and about individuals that have other brain-based diagnoses, how to be a carer, be a caregiver for someone that has a brain-based diagnosis because you can't traditionally parent a kid, a teen, who has an FASD. We know that if you use traditional, say, punishment or traditional grounding or anything like that, you don't, you're, you're creating secondary characteristics. You're creating anxiety. You're creating depression. You're creating everything on top of trauma, on top of trauma that happened in your brain before you were born. So this really, really, again, your story just really highlights the need for people to know about what it's like having an FASD and what works and what doesn't work. And again, I'm just so sorry for all the things that didn't work in your life. And I am really thankful that you are taking everything you went through. And like you said, you, you could have just stay silent, but before we started airing, you told me something really important. I want you to share what you told me about not staying silent anymore, because I think people need to hear that. I, I, that was my whole goal. <laughs> That's why I'm here anyway. <laughs> you, you just, you said you couldn't stay silent anymore. And, and no. that to me just says that yeah, I'm hurt. I'm broken. And that's, you know, my husband and I talk about that. Like we are, we're, we're hurt. We're broken. You know, our family is not perfect by any means, but by sharing your voice, by giving people a, a, a platform for them to say, okay, this happened to me. And like you said, it, it was, it was horrible. And I went through this, but this is what I want you to know. And then what you're doing, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, how you're helping other people, other adults that have an FASD say, this is a safe place to talk. And we know that that's really important, especially on this journey, because like you said, so many people don't understand FASD and there's such a stigma about FASD. And there's just there are so many things that are wrong. It's time to start talking to say, okay, you know what? This is right. This is one thing that's right. This is one thing that one teacher did that was right. That really, really made a difference in my life. 
So I am, again, I'm just really, really thankful, Miranda, that you are sharing your journey and you are telling people, look, this is what I went through, but I am still fighting. And that to me shows that you, even in the darkest days, you have courage and you have hope for a better day. And even if it doesn't look like the tomorrow is even going to happen, you still have hope to, to keep moving forward. So Sorry for trailing off just on that one question. I'm just like, no, oh, I'm doing it again. Oh, I hate it. I hate myself when I do that. No, so don't it's at my all. Brain that just don't. can't like exactly. You know? It just and I think it's because fun. it's so much information that I'm trying to like pick things out of my story that like because there's so much stuff that's happened that I always feel like, um, oh no, I'm leaving that out because it wouldn't make sense if I say this half. So I have to add that in there. So my brain is consistently trying to, you know like compensate together yeah yeah and um and trying to end it the way i want it to end <laughs> <laughs> but it keeps going and i understand it's horrible i understand yeah. no it, you know what it's just that's how it is that's how it yeah, is so i'm trying to remember where i paused at uh because obviously i had to stop myself um <laughs> and then try to finish off uh what i was talking about that is okay so you you talked a lot in your story about the challenges that that come from having an FASD. And like I said, the statement, my brain is on fire and I'm just not able to remember. I wake up and the next day and no matter how hard I try to study, I just can't remember. Those two really, really like are impactful statements. What are a couple of other things that you want listeners to know about being an adult living with an FASD that are challenges? We're going to, we're going to talk about strengths and skills. Cause that's what I want to shine on. And you said before that your art, I call it a superpower. And it sounds like your art and your photography, and you, you have quite another, you know, that's something about having a brain-based diagnosis is where you have challenges in one area, your brain has superpowers in other areas. So I like to call it a superpower. So before we talk about your superpowers, Let's just tell me like one or two things that you really want people to understand about living with FASD. Um, yeah. So basically what I already described, it's pretty much like that. Um, and for me, there's so many things. And I, so I would have to try to think about what would be the main two um, that's the most struggling. Um, so kind of similar of, you know, just, uh, like there, there's sometimes, I mean, it's not a big thing, but I mean, it's, it's annoying thing. Um, so like I fidget a lot. It's so like right now I'm kind of fidgeting with my pencil and I actually literally have a fidget toy over in my living room. I don't know why I decided not to take it, but so I have this, um, we have, we have a fidget basket. <laughs> we yeah. have a fidget. We have a huge, we have one in the car and we have one in, uh, by the fireplace. So we have a fidget basket. So I, I, I totally understand. But that's not the really the annoying part. So basically, like, okay, so say that's part of the fidgeting thing. So say I'm on the phone or something like that, and uh, I would fidget with something, and I I know what object it is in my hand, and then but then I'd get up and I'd walk around the house, and then I'd put it down somewhere. Then I'd pick up another object and do the same thing. And then once I get off the phone, um, especially if they're important objects, I have no recollection of where I put it. So I spend like ten, maybe even a couple of days trying to finding it. <laughs> so- 
and like I don't remember where I put it and then of course even just during the day if I like take my glasses off and I put it down somewhere um I should know where I put it but then like I don't know like five minutes later I'm like where did I put it and I'm walking around the whole house again and like either it's a in front of my face but I just don't see it or I just keep thinking it somewhere else so that's an annoying thing that happens daily for me um but the other one you know with having FASD for me um it's just just not, it's, it's really the discrimination that I just keep getting. I mean, I, I love people. I'm still shy. I, ha I, I seem like I'm not shy, but in actuality, I just act like I'm not. Um, but, <laughs> and, and not really good with, you know, around people for too long. If I'm like, if I'm meeting like, say like five, 10 people all at once at the same time, that, that overwhelms me a little too much. And I always have that fear of, you know, meeting new people and being discriminated because, People, because I live in a world where FASD is not talked about, it's, there's no much awareness. So 90% of the people I talk to, they have no idea what it is. And I have came across people that refuse to understand, um, or the worst one yet is thinking that I'm a red flag because they don't understand where they say like, oh, she understands and she looks normal and she can understand A, B, and C, but why can't she understand C and uh, sorry, not D and so on. Um, and so I had to try to explain that. And it just seems like I don't think it really processes to people um, because I try to do it the best of my ability to explain. Um, but it just somehow it just doesn't, or it's like, oh, or I get compared. The, the comparison is the most annoying thing for me. Um, oh, I heard someone that has this issue and they did it. So you can, you can too. I'm like, well, no, it, 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 I'm different. I literally cannot do it. You can try to push me, like say you can get me off the couch right now and you can try to do everything possible to get me to learn. And it, it's, I went through seven year, years of foster care with this. It, I will not do it. There's things that I can do and there's things that I cannot. And, but still it's, I have a stigma attached to myself where everybody just thinks that I'm just making it up. I'm too lazy that I don't want to do it. Um, I'm sure you can. And it just, it's, it's, it's annoying. And it only, I just feel like I'm being discriminated more. And so then I feel like I'm just this evil person to people. Um, relationships, same thing, where I meet other people within their, their friendship. And I, and they, some people just don't understand, oh, I'm a red flag. I'm only using this person for money um, because I can't, I can barely hardly support myself because I don't have a high pay working job um, very often. And the government here does not support and give me enough money, no matter how hard I fought and cried over the phone. That's just what it is here. And, you know, they expect us to live off of a certain amount of money when I still need to pay a phone bill or my Photoshop and et cetera, after the rent, for example. And some of the rules here is just, you know, if you, because since I am not great at living alone, I like to live with someone, but then it's put under a room and board pay. And the room and board pay is way more, much, much worse than just me living alone pay. Um, so say if my rent is $200, I just get $400 every month. That's it. Because they want the person that I'm living with, give me the money. And that is where the attachment of me feeling like a burden is. So I just always feel like I'm a burden because I mean, because I, it's, I, I just, there's a lot of things I can't do. I'm bad at taking buses. So I don't bus or drive whatsoever. And I was, and I, I took buses. I mean, I'm not saying that I never took a bus and I don't want to, I've taken buses all through, you know, when I was really young and up to, you know, aging out of foster care. I can take the bus when I'm with someone. Um, 
And when I was forced to take the bus multiple times in between that, I've actually passed out on the bus and people had to wake me up and um, people give me strategies, like just bring a paper bag with you and just blow into it if you're having too much anxiety um, or do this or do that, put music in yours. I have tried absolutely everything that people have, you know, asked me for advice uh, to do. And, you know, then, so when I tell them that I tried them all, they're just like, okay, you're just making excuses. There's like no way that didn't work. And it's just, it's so frustrating. I've like, I just, then I just kind of go into this dark hole where it's like, I don't know what else I can do. Like, I just, because it follows me everywhere I go when I meet people and like, hey, I can't do this. And then it, it's kind of like how a lot of us explain where they just take a step back. Like it's for me, to, for, like, like, oh no, this is bad news. This is no, I, I like, because nobody wants to provide for someone that like, like, especially like me that I can barely make it by. And I just feel like just based on what I get for a living, it, it, it's always going to be with me. I mean, I just kind of feel like at this point in the time I'm right now, it's just, I'm going through the same repetition chapter when I first moved out when I was 19. And like in the future, if I'm going to be meeting another new person, it's going to be the same thing. No one's going to want to be there for me to help support me because I already try to battle and struggle for myself um, and do everything that I can to fight for getting better payment because there's a lot of things I can't do, but they don't care. Um, I'm not the only one either that's on this where, you know, they, they could barely get by two monthly. Um, because I mean, as we live in a world now, um, rent is going up, food pricing is going up, everything is going up. So I already just barely struggled just moving out when I was paying $600 a month and just barely getting maybe 200 ish left over. So, and then you, you know, pay for my food and well, I don't get much left over <laughs> to everything else. And it, it's very hard. And, um, I never liked it, um, but I'm still on it to this day. And I'm even in the process of trying to battle it to get myself some more money um, just in the next couple of weeks or a month and see what I can do. Because my friend has been on the same thing and he actually can't work himself. He can't drive. Same thing with me. So he actually had to get witnesses to provide that information and send it to the government to demand, you know, this, you need more, like th you can't, he can't like live off of this. He needs more extra money. And shockingly, he actually got more money. So when I first met him, I'm like, how are you on the same thing that I am? And you're getting more money. Basically told me that's how he did it. And I'm like, I was blown away because I just feel like in a society, why do we even have to try to do that? Like, why do we, it, it shouldn't, we shouldn't have to do that. Like, <laughs> and it, it blows my mind. I mean, it's just, it just, it throws me in and he doesn't even have what I have. It's completely different. And because it's the same thing, anybody can go on this disability pay here. And it's just, it's, it's definitely one of the main two challenges of living with this in, in my experience right now. And it's always been the same thing since I left and I aged out when I was 19. Um, it's never been the best. And it's basically because of that. So it's the money and how the government treats people like us. And it's also discriminating from people that I meet. I'm like this nice person and I try so hard. You know, I, I, ha we have this, I have this horrible trait. It's not horrible, but it's just, I just care about people so much. And it's not like I don't care about myself. I've taken care of myself for a long time by myself. My, mo my mom wasn't there. I have had to feed myself. I had to, you know, be at home alone until the next day, just worrying about where my mother is because I don't know if she's gonna come back home. And, you know, I've did a lot of stuff on myself and um, 
and I, I love myself. I talk to myself all the time. I've been always my best friend, but I mean, you know, for the longest time, it only gets so boring. You kind of want to have people in your life, but, you know, being on this and I kind of still feel like I'm alone. Nobody wants to listen to me and no one, well, we don't care. Like that's what, that's what you get. That's it. That's all you're going to get. So, and that's the same thing with meeting people. And I'm not saying like every single person I met in history is, is doing this to me. I have great friends, but a lot of my good friends are from the States. They're not in my area. And I have one great best friend, of course, Brianna, you know, she's been there with me um, through thick and thin since day one. And, you know, but it's, for me, it's rare to find because I spent my whole life trying to meet new friends and I'm either being ghosted in the middle of a conversation and, um, and sometimes I try to explain it to people and, but they just don't understand. And it's just, it's just the red flag. It's the red flag thing where they just somehow find me this intimidating person that's going to be a problem or some sort of thing like that. So yeah, that's definitely one of the main things that I deal with on a daily basis. So I'm 27 now, I'll be 28 soon, and I'm still dealing with it. And this is where it's came to my, you know, getting to start to do this advocacy thing in October, because I mean, you know, even with the, you know, say if I move, if I, you know, if I fall in love and I'm in a relationship and I say, if I move in with them and the way the rules are here, if I move in with someone, you know, obviously that probably going to get a lot of money, they have a job, they work. So they combine that with the money they give me and the money that my boyfriend makes. And say like you, you move in and you live in the first year together. And if the amount of money combined with yours and his goes over $18,000 the first year, you don't have any more disability pay. They cut you off completely. So then they expect my boyfriend to provide absolutely everything. And they, they explained this to me way back when I was dating a previous, I was dating a previous relationship. And with that guy, he's like, nope, I ain't doing that. So, <laughs> and that is what makes me feel even more discriminated. I just feel like no matter where I go, it's just like, how am I going to get a relationship when no one's going to, that's where I, they put me into that position. And I just think that's the most horrible rule ever where it's, like 18,000 in one year. I mean, that's to me, I'm not great at money and living standards, but I just find that a little small just for the first year, just combined. But I mean, if you have a disability, I mean, but that's what they, that's what they, they don't care because they want to keep as much money as they want. They don't want to give it to you. So they want the people that you live with provide it to you every time, no matter where I lived. And I hate it. I just hate it. I don't, it's just, I feel like to me, because since I care about people, I feel like that's not fair for the person I'm dating. It's not fair for me. And it's just wrong. Um, that is definitely my two cents on that. It's just wrong. And it's still a thing. And I feel like that needs to be scrapped. Um, and especially because everybody with a high, high range of disabilities is on this disability pay. So it doesn't matter if you have FASD um, and any other kind of disability, it's still the same thing. Um, unless like my friend that fought for more money. Um, but it's, I mean, I don't know if anybody can really be able to do that and get away with it, but I'm going to try. Um, <laughs> so yes, it's super struggling. Um, so that's definitely the main two right there. And again, this, this points out to me, now I'm in the mama fix it mode. Now I like want <laughs> to help fix it, you know, and that's one of the many things I love about being a podcaster is I get to, to hear what people, you know, have gone through. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, okay. How, you know, how can we fix this? You know, I, I think this just really, your, your story just really, really screams for the need of support. 
you know, and better support and support that's based on what you're able to do and what you need, not just this blanket across the board. Here you go. That's it. You're on your own. Bye. You know, we know the other thing that you're talking about, too, which which really um, resonates with me is that you are independent, but there are some things that you need help with. Everybody does not whether you have, you know, a, a diagnosis or whether, you know, any everybody needs help with something. That's that's like one of the things I always tell my kids. Everybody needs help with something. And so if you're in an environment where you're living with someone and it's helpful for you, you know, then that shouldn't be a penalty against you. That shouldn't be like, oh, well, okay, you're going to get less of less support because you're actually in an environment where someone is helping you. So again, I'm, I'm very, very thankful you're sharing your story and you're sharing this feedback and your point of view, because I hope that whoever is listening out there can say, Hey, I know of so-and-so, you know, I, I love being a podcaster because I love being able to connect people to other people and to say, Hey, you're looking for this. I know someone who, you know, that's one of the many, you know, just one of the many great things I love about podcasting. So again, if you are listening, first of all, just foster care. We just really need to just have a a discussion, not just, again, not just the U.S., not just Canada, just foster care period, how there needs to be that education and there needs to be that support. Again, it's not like you're 18, boom, you're done. No, that should, especially, especially since we know, and now Miranda, you know, because you're learning about FASD, especially 18 is a chronological age. That is not developmentally, your brain is still growing after 18. You know, whether you have a brain-based diagnosis or not, your brain is still growing after 18. So you need that support. You know, you can't, again, the system, the way the systems are set up, you can't just say 18, boom, that's it. Here you go. Here's some money on your way. No, no, that needs to be reformed. This is a call to action, you know, for reform. And by hearing people like you who are in the system, who have been through the system and who are able to share, this is what I went through. This is what I'm going through. Then I hope and I pray that the people who can take action say, hey, I can help with this. I know somebody who can help with this. That's what needs to happen. And you're doing you're starting to do that in your advocacy. And I'm really looking forward to talking about your group, because I think, again, when you have people who have been through what you've been through, maybe not the same exact thing, but maybe a lot of things that are similar when you can talk about it. And then when you can say, hey, this worked for me, hey, this didn't work for me, then that is a really valuable resource. So before we talk about your awesome Zoom group, which I'm going to be sharing details about. So if you're an adult living with an FASD and you want to learn more about Miranda's Zoom support group, I'm going to put it in the program notes. Um, And I'm also going to share 
um, in the program notes, the uh, information that you can reach out to, to Miranda. Before we talk about that, I want to talk about your superpowers. I want to talk about your skills and your gifts because you have a lot of them and you have some really cool ones too. Things that I love personally, like art and photography. So what are the things that make you shine? Oh yeah. Uh, art was kind of like my, always my big thing when I was a kid, I just always like to paint and like draw and stuff. Um, kindergarten was fun with that because you do all these paints and arts and crafts, Play-Doh, um, you name it. Um, so I've always been creative when it comes to that. Um, I wouldn't be able to remember too much of all the art stuff I'd done, like, you know, elementary school, but when it got to high school, um, joining art class, um, loved our teacher. She was, you know, obviously she's great in art. She obviously graduated from art school and whatnot. And she was, she was strict, but she was firm and she knows what she's talking about. And she, her favorite place was like, Paris and obsessed with the art textures of Paris and so that was like influential uh, for herself and then she kind of incorporated that with our class a lot um, so we did like different various projects um, and you know from monochromatic painting so if no one's familiar with monochromatic it's basically just using various shades of blue so you can use dark blue light blue even some whites in there I mean white is uh, allowed and black so um there was a project that's more, you know, influential to me. Uh, you know, we just, they just kind of like, oh, we just go through a magazine and pick out, like, it has to be like a person, like a human, um, like a kind of like a face portrait kind of thing. And of course you draw it out and then you paint it all, all monochromatic colors. So you do shading and all that kind of stuff. It was hard. I think I worked on it for like three months and I was about 16 at this time. And, um, and of course, like, you know, when you do these art projects, the teacher likes to pick at least the two best in class and they put it on top of this on, on the display on the display. And I remember painting part of like the face and I was like so frustrated. I'm like, I can't get this right. This is one area that I just can't get. So my teachers walk around, she looked at it, she's like, let me try to see if I can help you with that. So she grabs the paintbrush and she's like going going at it and she looks at it, she's like, you know what? I'm really sorry, but I think I made it worse. <laughs> so she understands like that, like it was actually hard. She's like, I'm so sorry, but you know what? It's fine. I'm sure I'll figure it out. So I spent like another 20, 30 minutes on it. And then I managed to, to actually get it. I was like, yes, I did it. And then she came back around. She's like, well, what do you know? Look at that. <laughs> so she was like impressed. And so when I finished it, and of course, like she kind of picks the two best. And um, one, uh, I'm, I wasn't actually, well, I mean, I can't say I'm actually surprised. I didn't think I was because mine kind of looks like, I guess, in the cartoon information, but um, she picked mine and my other class, another classmate, and but his like his looked way more realistic than mine. Like I would like, I mean, there's no way I would have got it to that point. I have talents, but like I my various style of art is different than other people. Like everybody else's, but I mean, I take my time. I'm not one of those artists that can you know easily draw or paint something really quick. I kind of take a lot of time just to get it right. I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to this. I just, I look at it and be like, nope, it's still not right. And I'll erase it. It just keeps overdoing it so many times just that I make sure it's hundred percent perfect. And, and I guess it really, um, it, you know, it, the, the hard work pays off when I take that extra time to do it. So yeah, um, the art thing is a huge thing. I've like, my teacher was always like really impressed just of my art style. She always talked about it all the time because mine was just different from other people's in the class. And she's commented me on this so many times. She's like, 
she just always just said like, oh, wow, I just like, I've never seen it like that before, but it's, but it's, it's really good. I mean, I got into graffiti and stuff like that. I had my own art style with it. And, you know, she just, just loved it. And of course, other things that I can do, like certain drawing and stuff like that. But again, I still take a lot of time to draw it. <laughs> Sometimes I could be the only one left in class that's still working on a project. And she kind of gives me an extra little time to do it. And then because she knows at the end of the day, it's going to be great. So um, sketching and all that kind of stuff. So that was one of them. And um, ironically, the funny thing is when it came to photography, I took media arts and back in, of course, high school. And I did not seem to enjoy it. I just, I had no interest in it at that time. I found it confusing, even when I was going through like learning f-stop and shutter speed and all that kind of stuff. I just, I wasn't interested in it. I just, just went way over my head. I was morally focused on my art. And, you know, flash forward to when I finally moved out of foster care and, you know, I just kind of started doing like logo design, like drawing for like, um, like, like artists in the lower mainland here. And, but then I, over time, I just found like, it's a little, it's a little too much for me because since how long I take to draw and do logo design for people, I just ended up going, no, I just don't want to do this anymore. Um, and then I started going to the concerts and I had this Sony digital camera and I'd be taking pictures of the artists on stage and I ended up posting it to Facebook. And then I had so many people contact me or approach me when I'm at these shows, like, Hey, are you a photographer? Like the, like the photos you took are really good. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not. <laughs> it's like, oh, but, but like the next show, if you come back, can you please take pictures for me? And I'm like, sure. I get, yeah. I mean, cool. Yeah, sure. I'll do it. And then um, it's, and I, I'll know it's just, it somehow just clicked. It's just like people just saw something in me that I didn't know about when I was younger. And then, but of course, a few years later, it just kind of came back and um, I ended up actually losing my digital camera at a show one time. And I don't remember, I think I left it in the bathroom because my brain, I just, like I just somehow just like it just went it skipped my head and I started like socializing and then I'm like going in my pocket and I'm like oh, where's my camera <laughs> and yeah I get and it was gone I, I'm like okay well this sucks and then so a, a, a old friend of mine actually messaged me he's like hey I got this old Nikon D40 and I'm selling it do you want it sure I'll take it and that is when it really blew off like it like I took it and I just started you know experimenting taking flowers in the backyard and I was uploading them to the computer because I've really never, I don't know, it just, I mean, I was still using these cameras in school and I uploaded the computer, but I don't know, it just somehow at this moment of time, I just became obsessed. I liked how it looked and I just really just, I, it, I'm self-taught, so I didn't go to school. I just did a lot of YouTube videos and learning things and yeah, and then that's where it really got big. And so I was just doing a lot of various photography things. Unfortunately, in the industry, um, with my FASD, I was easily discriminated from some people where they thought like I was making excuses of like, say like anxiety if I was going to a particular show, but they made it all wrong saying like I was trying to bail out like say like an hour before the show when I wasn't. Um, I actually notified like about five hours prior, but like I still went. I was just kind of explaining that I was having a lot of anxiety because, you know, even still with my job, it's like I'm still nervous. Like I have nerves every time before I go out to work when I'm like around people, but it's the photography, my face to the camera that just puts me in my zone and I enjoy it. And the best part about it is I just come home and I can have a coffee and I can just edit my photo. And I just, editing is like my favorite part. I just love enhancing photos and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, and uh, I've had clients, you know, I mean, it's, I don't have a huge clientele, but 
I've always got nothing but comments like, you know, how are you taking like these good photos and you charge really cheap? Because I want to be that photographer where people just can't afford to a certain level of pricing. So I want it to be affordable, um, that people can have memories that they can share with these photos. So yeah, and um, I, I my favorite client is a mother and she's got two twins and I've been taking pictures at their birthday party since they're two years old. Of course, unfortunately, the last few years, uh, we haven't been got a chance to do that, but I've done their second, third, fourth, and fifth birthday parties and watching them grow has been like amazing. And like all these different themes that, that the mother does, it's just incredible. Um, she's just been my fa like my favorite and she's been my supporter when it comes to wanting to come back every every year. Um, and I had a few people that wanted me to come back a bunch of other times to do pet photography. So um, yeah, it like, I mean, I so funny when I think about it now, it's just like how I hated it in high school and just how I'm just obsessed with it now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with the camera, like these new upgrades. And fortunately it's expensive. And since uh, the money that I get, <laughs> it, it takes a long time to add up that money. If I want to get a new camera, I do have a new one currently, which is the Z series. It's the mirrorless. And I was just done with the mirror, mirror cameras, the DSLRs. I love the mirrorless because it's just better and it's sharper and um, overall quality of it. Um, and it's just, dust doesn't get into it easier as other ones that I had. I've had a lot of issues with dust, even though it doesn't matter how many times I've cleaned it, uh, making, trying to prevent dust. It's still somehow, I look in the viewfinder and there's a speck. So I'm like, no, how does this keep happening? I just got this thing and it's brand new. And it's never actually happened to the first camera that I had. So that was really weird. But the mirrorless, it's been, it's been, it's like my, that's like my superpower thing right there. I, I just, I love it. And um, I do have, you know, portfolio work that people can look at. Um, you know, as much as I wish that like I have a big clientele now, I mean, it, it takes a long time to try to get all that out there. Um, so, but since I've taken a long break, you know, since 2019 off of not doing photography, um, but I mean, I'm still going to be doing it. It's something that it's like the only job I can, I found in my life that I can fit in. I don't do really well, like working actual jobs where I'm around all these people and being approached at one time. I just couldn't do it. I, I was forced to do the jobs in foster care. I just couldn't do it. I just, the work field in that it's just, it's nerve wracking. And I've tried so many different techniques to get over that. And I, but, but for some odd reason, it's the camera and doing things my own way it just somehow it puts me in a better strength zone and I've gotten a lot of good um, feedback from it. So I'm pretty proud of like how much I've accomplished from then and now, and I wouldn't change that for the world when it comes to my photography. So <laughs> I love hearing that. I love hearing that. So recently you started your online support group for adults that have an FASD. Let's talk about that. That's really a gift that you're you're sharing? Uh, yes. Um, this was the biggest, newest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, so as I explained previously, um, you know, just with, you know, recent events, just me being tired of like the amount of like lack of support I had my whole life. And I kind of feel like, you know, I'm sitting on the couch every day and I'm at home and I don't like, I mean, that's, I'm, a, I'm an at home person, right. I don't have a job to go to. So, um, and just, I was just, in just the last few years, I just, I'm tired of all this discrimination. And I mean, I got to do something about it. I eventually at this point, I can't, I don't want to live the rest of my life where I just, I'm not going to tell my story. And I'm like, and I know, and I'm so annoyed because I never actually 
I don't know why I never did this before, but it just now it just came to, so I just started going online and just in, in like in the Facebook search, I just started typing in FASD um, and like finding like, if there, I wonder if there's any FASD um, Facebook groups. And, um, I, and I came across Jeff Noble's um, success um, page and I kind of asked, um, hey, do you know um, any FASD um, so, um, groups that are on Facebook that I can join uh, that are people that are like me? And yeah, he sent me the link to the FASD Broken Wings. And I was just like stunned. I mean, like there's about 6,000 people on there. And I'm like, I've never in my entire life met anyone else that has what I have. And now I have this huge like group in front of me that like I can now talk to people and relate to. So I posted my like my big story when I first introduced myself and just the amount of like, I was not expecting just how many friendly people are just there. And like, and I just, for the first time I felt like I was being seen and like, I just never met like such a happy group of people. I, I, in my life, I've just, even right now, even just talking to you and just everything that I've got involved with so far, I've just never met such friendly people. And that, that really sparked um, everything. And so then over time, I thought like, you know, I, I don't know why, like, is there any support groups that of other people I can just talk to, um, you know, just to relate to people. And then I was thinking like, well, I have a Zoom account and I like never use it. I've, I, I don't even remember when I got it for the first reason. I got it for maybe like doing, I honestly don't even remember. <laughs> I, I got Zoom for some odd reason, but I'm like, I wonder if I maybe like, because I was looking online, I just couldn't find anything just based on my researching. And like, you know, even or my area, there's nothing here in my area. Like the one most annoying thing about FASD is I keep finding things that are available for younger people. There's nothing for the adults. So they, they have this thing where they think FASD just magically disappears when you go into your adulthood. Because I'm seeing all this youth, 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 teens, and nothing 20 and up, all that stuff. And so I'm like, well, this is a long this is a long-term disability. This is lifelong. I don't know why there's no resources for that. So I'm like, I love to engage with people. So, I mean, like, I'm going to, you know what, I should just start my own support group because I'm not finding anything. So yeah. And I went on Canva and I made like a little advertisement thing. And um, at first I got like some people, like, I guess they're confused because I, I make sense of my brain. I didn't want to like have so many people because there's a lot of people in there. So I was afraid like, oh, I'm gonna have so many people join like one group. And because my brain can't keep up with like just so many people at once of joining. And so I just kind of want to start it like from 20 to 30, just based around my age group that I can relate to. And that because I understand that chronological age with FASD is different. It's not like, you know, for me being 27, I'm like, I feel like I'm 20. So I get that. But I wanted to be just comfortable and just having just the range and maybe people that are younger um, then 20, maybe the things that I say could be maybe too much for them. I mean, I just wanted, I was, I don't know. It wasn't anything to do with uh, discrimination or anything of age. I just wanted to start it with a 20 and 30. So I posted that. So some people kind of like, oh, well, not this age and not that. I'm like, no, I just had to like clarify that wasn't the case. Um, but uh, it really kicked off and people were like really interested. So I had people start joining. Um, like, yeah. And I was just shocked that like when, you know, meeting other people, um, because everybody's different. And I just, I'm still meeting everybody that's just so friendly. I'm not used to that. And I'm always being discriminated all the time. And like, it just, but all these different stories, I realize I'm not the only one that's struggling in life. And, and it's, and it's heartbreaking of hearing all these different stories, um, 
but it's therapeutic for them. Um, you know, I'm meeting people from the UK, I'm meeting people from Australia, um, you know, South Africa. Um, so, and, you know, even maybe my next door neighbors in Canada, um, in the US. So, and everybody's got their own story. And um, so for that, that also teaches me more insight of what's happening around the world to better my advocacy uh, for change. And because you just have that, you gather more information from others. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And so now I, I also made another group. So now I have a 30 to 55 and I already done like two sessions already with them because that just recently kicked off. And I'm just, I, I've done so many sessions, but like there was a particular session that I just felt like I wanted to cry. I just, just uh, I, like, it can get overwhelming, but I mean, I, I feel like this is like a duty for me and I'm doing it for free. I'm not charging because I want to be there for people. And I can, since I have that heart of gold that I just care about people so much, I just want to have some kind of support that people can have that they can't get. And in the 30 and 55 group, I have people like, I've been waiting for something like this for a long time and thank you. And, and just, I, I just feel a lot of love and that I know I'm doing something good. Um, so it's been a great experience. So that, that, yeah, that's pretty much where it led me to do what I want to do now. And it's not going to go anywhere. I, I think I just want to do this for the rest of my life as long, you know, as you know, it can, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's always going to happen. So I think that's such an amazing gift that you're providing. You really bring up a good point, Miranda, that there really is nothing out there. There's very little out there for adults, especially adults in their twenties and thirties and beyond. You know, there's, we know that there's a lot of early intervention services. There's a lot of elementary services, but as you age, as you, um, as you get older, the services and the supports are less and less. And that's where I hear a lot of stories of adults that have an FASD who say, you know what, I just started this because there was nothing out there and I wanted there to be something out there. So I'm really appreciative of, of what you're doing. And we're going to share in our program notes, um, the contact information and how you can sign up for, for, for these groups. So Miranda, I am just so thankful again for everything that you are doing in your advocacy work. And I'm also thankful for you sharing your journey and sharing your voice and, and being a voice of an adult with an FASD because your voice matters. And I don't know how many times you've heard that, but your voice matters. It really, really does. Not really and much. I haven't gotten that very much. Well, I'm going to tell you, your voice matters. And it not only matters to me as a mom, as a podcaster, as someone who's trying to help the FASD community, but your voice matters to a lot, a lot of people. And I'm really just honored that I was able to share you and your story to people out there. I like to end our episodes on words of hope. And you've been through a lot of hard you've been through a lot of hard, but you've also turned a lot of that hard into resources to help other people. And that is a really, really amazing characteristic. What words of hope do you want to leave for our listeners today? Whether they're 
people who, you know, whether they're adults, young adults, adults living with an FASD, whether they're parents, whether they're educators, what words of hope can you leave for people, especially those people who are really struggling? Yeah, I mean, I went through a whole lot. And as you know, (laughs) uh, I apologize. It's really hard to narrow down to a lot of things, but it's a breakdown to a point that you would understand. Um, And what I learned is that, you know, every time when I go through these barriers and I just feel like I still to say have these feelings of not being accepted, discriminated, a lot of us have felt like this still. and of course, due to recent events, um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's still a problem. And, but I am still here and I want to fight for what is right. <laughs> and eventually party after a celebration when we do get that change um, in the future of, you know, having, getting better support for us. Um, and, you know, then we have, so we don't have to worry too much, um, you know, getting more of a lift of the weight off the shoulders. And I just say, never give up, no matter how hard you feel that, you know, when you're struggling, um, it's not going to happen. You have to just keep pushing um, because at the end of the day, it's something um, that it's been completely out of your control of things that you can't do. Um, and then you, but it, I really focus on my strengths, focus on those strengths and use them because those make me happy. Uh, If I'm going through a hard time, my music, I would draw, paint, my photos, all that kind of stuff. Don't don't ever think that you wanna focus too much on the weakness end. And because we do get to that point. Sometimes we focus too much on our weaknesses that we forget our strengths and then that's it. You go in that deep dark hole. Cause there's a lot of us that do struggle with depression, anxiety. I do wanna shout out to that too, because Mental health is super, super, super important. And if you feel like you're lost, you ha- like talk to somebody. You're not alone. You're never alone in this world with us, in this community especially. Those are amazing, amazing words of hope. Miranda B., thank you so much for sharing your journey and for sharing your gifts and being on a FASD Hope. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.